John, I've got two questions for you this week. Okay. Mm. So firstly, which character do you think you most associate with in this film? God, they're all so awful. Um, <laughs> I guess Emma Thompson. She seems vaguely sane. Oh, you just picked the best character, did you? Well, of course. Naturally. Who else am I going to be? I'm not going to be Chris Marshall, am I? Well, that's what I was picking for myself. Oh, so... please. <laughs> have some self-respect. <laughs> I have none. <laughs> Sometimes Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to one-off films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. Hello. And what is this, part three of our Christmas series? It is. A and Wonderful it's... Life was part one and Krampus was part two, so and this is part three. My choice and it's my favourite Christmas movie of all time and I know it's awful, <laughs> but... Hey, opinions are like arseholes. Go everybody on. Ha- everybody has one. Um, <laughs> they're also subjective. I don't know, I don't know if our souls are subjective. I've wandered away from my metaphor there. There's got to be some more similarities. Probably, yeah. But the point is that, yeah, just because I don't like this film doesn't mean it's objectively terrible. I'm looking forward to hearing you defend it. I don't have much to defend this with. Okay. Well, what, tell me why you chose it. Well, like I say, it's my favourite Christmas movie, and uh, I've been looking forward to doing this one because I know a lot of people have seen this film, and I thought it would make a really good episode. I've been really interested to see where these characters go, and... I was very excited when they did their comic relief sequel thing there, which obviously we're not including. Okay, yes. That, that's um, off canon, so we're not acknowledging that. The whole thing felt too ridiculous. Okay, yeah. Fair um, enough. But still, I did quite enjoy that sort of thing. And also, it's as they made a big point of in that, it's fun to see how everybody's aged. Yes, true. And <laughs> everybody's had... Well, almost everybody has had very successful careers since this film. I thought you were going to say almost everybody's had very successful plastic surgery since this film. <laughs> <laughs> have they? I don't, I'm sure some have. <laughs> Okay, so first question from me. Do you consider this to be a Christmas movie? Come on! Yeah, of course it is. In what sense is it a Christmas movie? It's set at Christmas. It's all about people coming together and falling in love and love is all around us. And What, what about that is particularly festive? What, what about it isn't particularly festive? I'd say all of it. But <laughs> I can think of two plot lines in this film that are directly related to Christmas, both of which are profoundly depressing. The film opens with Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. Dressed in some Hawaiian tie-dye nightmare. Uh, actually, no, I take it back. Bill Nye is my favourite. He's your favourite? Yep. Why? Why? He's great. Is he? He is. I couldn't understand why we're supposed I to... Knew, I knew this was going to happen. I shouldn't have picked this film. I'm going to shit all over it. I'm, I'm very sorry, <laughs> but... I just, I couldn't, from the beginning, I didn't understand why we were supposed to be rooting for this entitled, misogynistic nightmare of a man. Well, I find that he was sort of funny for being it. Whereas other characters were not. Mm-hmm. The joke around him is how old and misogynistic and just such an inappropriate guy he is. His inappropriate was, was his thing, wasn't it? Yeah, he was the, the, like, um, swear the on bad the, boy. Yeah. Swearing on a radio, saying it blue, have got little dicks on Blue Peter, was it? No, it wasn't Blue Peter. Uh, yeah. but it looked like it was CD UK, but it Something. looked like it was being shot on an empty soundstage because yeah. they couldn't afford to go on CD UK. Mm. But yeah, it, I guess it was supposed to be CDUK or SMTV, but it just looked like they were in some warehouse. Like yeah, Vance Deck at the front. <laughs> but yeah, like inappropriate was his thing. So I feel like he's the only character who gets away with being misogynistic in that because that's supposed to be funny. Whereas the other characters, like Colin, for example, mm-hmm. that's not the joke. Yeah. Okay. Like I... the, the the women in Colin's life, they're all exactly how he describes women. So 
Bill Nye is recording this horrendous, cynical cover version of Love Is All Around called mm-hmm. Christmas Is All Around. And he knows it's shit and he keeps telling people it's shit. He keeps stopping the recording to tell people it's shit. <laughs> like, you know, people have got jobs to do. Yeah. No, they're, they're just doing a job. It's not, it's not really their fault. He's backing singers. Exactly, exactly. It's not their fault this old fart's taking ages to do a song he doesn't even like. Mm-hmm. And then he's like promoting it on the radio stations on a CD UK, just throwing insults around saying, wouldn't it be hilarious if I went to number one? I admit this song is a piece of shit. So I was like, what are we rooting for here? A person who is actively selling shit to people, telling them they're idiots to buy it, and trying to take away from Blue, who maybe they really believe in their Christmas single. At least they put <laughs> it out there like in good faith, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And at the end, it turns out, in the first of several gay but not really plot lines, <laughs> that's how I've, I've termed it gay but not really. I think there's at least four or five identified in this film. Really? I only got that one. There's more. Yeah, so he goes for all of this. He just spends the entire film shitting on everyone he meets. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, he gets to number one because people are stupid and actually bought this shit. And then he's like, oh, great, I'm going to go do drugs with Elton John. And then he changes his mind and he turns up at his manager's house, which is filled with Bill Nyman memorabilia, mm-hmm. which made me think the manager was clearly in love with him. Yeah. Like, I know he manages him, but even so, that seems like he's mm-hmm. built like a shrine to <laughs> Bill Nye. So then Bill Nye is like, I guess the love of my life is you, you fat bastard. You know, and it's kind of sweet because, you know, Bill Nye is a good actor. Mm-hmm. But then it's kind of, it's not that. It's just like they have the awkward man hug. And mm-hmm. then he goes, let's get drunk and watch porn. Which I thought was weird. <laughs> what, what, what is their dynamic? They have a really <laughs> fucked up dynamic. and I don't understand what it is. Can you explain it to me? Nope. I've been questioning it my whole life. Yeah. It's like, is that what gays like? <laughs> just, just me. Just straight people watching porn and masturbating. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm. Well, this is a surprise. Yeah. Ten minutes at Elton John, you're as gay as a maple. No, look, I'm, I'm serious here. I left Elton's where there were a hefty number of half-naked chicks with their mouths open in order to hang out with you at Christmas. It's a terrible, terrible mistake, Chubbs. But you turn out to be the fucking love of my life. And to be honest, despite all my complaining, we have had a wonderful life. <laughs> Come on, let's get pissed and watch porn. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the life-affirming plotline of Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. Yes. What did you think of this one? Well, it was the most realistic, I thought. <laughs> some some people are dicks. Yeah. This... this is why I struggle to understand why this is such a popular Christmas movie. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Christmas is a time when you want to be all sentimental and, you know... Think about love and happy things. I found this whole plotline just profoundly depressing. <laughs> profoundly depressing. There's nothing happy about it at there all, is, is there? Yeah, nothing at all. And it's weird. It's weird how there are comic moments in it. Because that's when we get one of the Rowan Atkinson segments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's hilarious. But at the same time, it's like he's cheating on his wife. Yeah. It's like, What's ooh. What's going on there? Yeah, that whole scene, is, which I actually did. I found funny because I enjoyed Rowan Atkinson. Mm. Like, I, I, think I enjoyed Alan Rickman's suffering in that scene. Because I was in no way rooting for him. Yeah. So they've been married for like, I presume, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And their marriage seems really broken and awful. Because she mentions early on that her favourite singer in the world is Joni Mitchell. Mm -hmm. She said, Joni Mitchell taught me how to love. Mm -hmm. And then like one of the first scenes they have together, River by Joni Mitchell, probably the most famous Joni Mitchell song, Mm -hmm. is playing. And he goes, what's this? It's like, you've been married to this woman for like 25 years. You've got children with her. You don't know what the most famous song by her favourite singer in the world sounds like. Like, what does that say about their marriage? Wow. Then he starts having like flirtations with this weird porn star in a Jesse J wig. 
she was not a good actress. I don't know who that was. She was no. terrible. Mm-hmm. And she behaved like she was in the Love Actually porn parody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's a scene where she literally opens her legs. Mm-hmm. She says something bizarre, like, um, I can't wait to show you, or I'll be waiting under the mistletoe. And then she just spreads her legs like Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. So, uh, how's the Christmas party going? Good. I think I found a venue. A friend of mine works there. What's it like? Good, good. It's an art gallery. Full of dark corners for doing dark deeds. <laughs> right. Good. Well, I suppose I should take a look at it or something. You should. That is workplace harassment. Yeah. Right there. His whole work environment is incredibly hostile. Mm. We're going to get to his fucked up relationship with Laura Linney in the next bit. But um, <laughs> I will say this. Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman, particularly Emma Thompson, act the absolute shit out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, they do redeem it. The scene where she goes upstairs and has a little cry, mm-hmm. and then the scene when she confronts him at the play, they were genuinely... It's the scene when she comes back downstairs and mm. you see her acting like somebody, acting like there's nothing up. Mm. There's no yeah. problem. She's fantastic. She mm. is unbelievably good in this film. Mm-hmm. Can't falter. Yeah. But like, they leave it on kind of an ambiguous note mm-hmm. where at the end of the film, he's been abroad. Mm-hmm. Reasons unclear. Yeah. I think just because everyone had to be in the airport at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, she says, oh, I'm fine. No, really, I'm fine. And it's like, so did the affair continue? Are they reconciled? What did you end that scene thinking was going on with them? I, I ended it as though she'd sent him away for Christmas or the rest of Christmas. So you think she kicked him out? Yeah, just like, I need some time. Just, you you go away for New Year. You do something else. Not with her. Probably ended up in that same bar that Chris Marshall ended up in. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to him. Yeah. Yeah, and then the way I see it is that she took some time and he came back and they're going to try at it because she loves him for reasons that were not included in the film. <laughs> I think there were some cut scenes where they had a happy marriage at some point. I mean, I genuinely felt that those two were in love. Like, they'd been a couple for so long and they seemed... Mm comfortable in their marriage even if he wasn't that great towards her no no i, I would agree with that he chemistry is so important and they do have very good chemistry yeah alan rickman and emma thompson were friends for many years so i mean that probably informed the performances a little bit but i think one of the problems i have with this film is lazy writing yeah like, i think like the writing was really lazy and obvious in many ways and that whole thing with the Joni mitchell thing just made him seem worse than he needed to be mm-hmm. if it was just about a husband who was in a comfortable marriage and he loved his wife but then he was tempted because everyone gets tempted at some point you know and then he Almost has an affair, but then maybe he doesn't, or maybe he does, and then it's how are they going to deal with it? Mm-hmm. That's fine, but the, the way they wrote it, they wrote it so lazily that it made him look awful when it didn't need to be that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would agree that they, as actors, definitely saved it. I can def- oh, yeah, I'd, I would like to believe that they would try and work on their marriage. Once yeah. It's all over. Tell me, if you were in my position, what would you do? What position is that? Imagine your husband bought a gold necklace and come Christmas gave it to somebody else. Oh, God. Would you wait around to find Good out night. if it... No, 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 no. Happy Christmas. Would you wait around to find out if it's just a necklace or if it's sex and a necklace or if, worst of all, it's a necklace and love? Would you stay, knowing life would always be a little bit worse? Or would you cut and run? God. I am so in the wrong. A classic fool. Yes, but you've also made a fool out of me. You've made the life I lead foolish too. Darling! 
Okay, so after that, uh, the second festive treat of this film. Emma Thompson is also f- friends with Liam Neeson? What is that relationship? Tenuous. Tenuous at best. Yeah. Like, uh, he calls her, and she's really rude to him. She's like, oh, sorry, your wife died. <laughs> uh, but they seem to be friends. Yeah, I think it's just so that everybody's connected. There was, there yeah. was no other reason than that. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so what did you think of Liam Neeson and Jojen Reed from Game of Thrones' plot? I really liked that one. This is one that you liked? Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I found that really sweet. Okay. So it was believable as well, although he wasn't acting like a 12-year-old. No, he was not. No. He, he was like, he had the soul of a 40-year-old. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Just like, you know, the falling in love thing. Yeah, sure, whatever. I, mm. I guess that's where the story goes. That's fine. But the scripting that, that he was given mm-hmm. was not 12-year-old script. Okay. No, no, not at all. No. It was like, let's just get the shit kicked out of us by love. Yeah. It's like, what, you're 12? What are you yeah. saying? What do you mean? <laughs> Go and play Lego or something. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout this entire plot, all I could think of was, Jesus Christ, your mum has literally just died. Like, literally. Like, her funeral is in week one of four. Mm -hmm. So we're talking weeks. We're talking the rawest moment of grief. And everything Liam Neeson does is deeply, deeply inappropriate. Is it? So inappropriate. Yeah. Why is he constantly talking to the kid about sex? I mean, I think he's just encouraging his son to think about something else other than his mother dying maybe that's just the tactic that he's decided on it's his stepson as well it's not even yeah. his which we're constantly reminded of yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. where's the real dad in all this also dead I mean, he just doesn't need saying well, okay fine. maybe he just knocked up his mum and left who knows okay fine. it just seemed like a weird detail yeah they didn't really need to i suppose it's like well they can't connect but they seem very connected like, there's no point where it doesn't seem like they're connecting mm. like they seem like they're if anything oversharing with each other <laughs> well they're good friends he's 10 you should not be good friends with your stepson when he's 10 or 11 you should be his father figure well, well, there's yeah, a difference yeah that but like you know it's being being mates with your dad or your stepdad or just sort of latching on to someone that's not that's not abnormal okay so if your mum had just died so i always to introduce the bleak thought process so picture it, your mum your mum is literally barely cold in the grave and your dad is like well if I ever pull Claudia Schiffer, I'm going to have to kick you out because I'm going to want to shag her in your bed. Literally, the mum is barely cold. That's not going to upset you? <laughs> By the way, I feel bad. I never asked you how your love life is going. Uh-huh. No. As you know, that was a done deal long ago. Unless, of course, Claudia Schiffer called, in which case I want you out of the house straight away, you wee motherless mongrel. Oh? No, no. We all want to have sex in every room, including yours. Oh, and then his crush. The, the guy, so this is this was a big red flag for me. Mm-hmm. So the little kid, emo Georgian Reed, declares he's in love with a girl he's never spoken to, which mm-hmm. is a theme in this film. Mm-hmm. And then he says, her name is Maria, or whatever it is, or Joanna. Car- Joanna. Joanna. Her name's Joanna. That's mum's name. Red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> and then Liam Neeson just doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's, uh... yeah. that's weird. Yeah. Throughout the whole, this whole plot, I was just waiting for Liam Neeson to sit him down and be like, look, you just need to take some time and deal with your grief. It's okay. Your mum has just died. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to project feelings and other things, but just just work through it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do that. He constantly distracts him with these terrible harebrained schemes. And I mean, the scene in the airport when he runs through airport security. Yeah. Like, this is not long after 9-11. No. It's mentioned. 9-11 is mentioned in this film, bizarrely. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could have had a very unfestive conclusion. Like, 
super, super dangerous and inappropriate. Like, where, where he's not being a father figure. He's not acting as a father figure. This is my problem with him. He's just sending out terrible, terrible messages and being incredibly irresponsible and not being a good dad. Okay, well, I disagree. I think it was sweet, but let's move on. Okay. Fine. Who's next? <sighs> Who's next on your naughty list? My naughty list. They're all on the naughty list. So the other connections to Emma Thompson is that her brother is the Prime Minister. Oh, yeah. Played by Hugh Grant. Yeah. What did you think of this whole plotline? I mean, it was fine, but just he's essentially sleeping with his secretary. It's not yeah. that interesting. I found this one a whole lot less charming post kind of Harvey Weinstein. I don't really know all the details about that. Well, there's so. sexual harassment in the workplace. Okay. This plotline is sexual harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That poor woman. That poor, poor woman. First of all, she's not fat. Mm-hmm. What is this? No, yeah. What is this? <laughs> like, everybody acts like she's morbidly obese. Mm-hmm. By no metric is she overweight. And every character's like, oh, she's got thighs like tree trunks, the size of her arse. Oh, my God. And it's like, leave the woman alone. She's worked her way up to working at 10 Downing Street, which even mm-hmm. if... What was her job? She made tea. Was the she, she, the 10 Downing Street tea lady. But even so, she's probably has to work her way up the ranks of tea ladies to get to that level, you know? I'm sure, yeah. You've got to be the best tea lady in the world, if you can, or the best tea lady in Britain. Mm, but Palace, I'd say, is one above that. Okay, fine. You've got to be in the top five, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she deserves better than to be constantly objectified by every other character, is the point I'm mm-hmm. making. You know Natalie, who works here? The chubby girl. Would we call her chubby? I think there's a pretty sizable ass there, yes, sir. Huge thighs. Yeah. So then the President of the United States, played by Billy Bob Thornton, mm-hmm. makes a pass at poor old Martine McCutcheon, mm-hmm. for which she gets fired. Yes. But not until he has recklessly made an open threat during a press conference to the American president, which is terrible foreign policy. <laughs> That's awful. What the hell was he thinking with that? <laughs> that was a low oh, point for me in this film. Could you imagine if, like... Well, actually, no, I'm saying that. Uh, if Theresa May did that to Donald Trump... I'd be like, yeah, go Teresa. <laughs> but you know. don't, don't hold your breath. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he fires her because basically he's jealous that the American president made a pass letter, it seems. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't think he can keep his dick in his pants. Mm-hmm. So the only solution is to fire her. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you reckon her P45 looked like? And like reasons for dismissal? They'd think of something. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know how you can mess up your job as a tea lady. Yeah. Unless you throw tea in someone's face. She did seem to have like a mild form of Tourette's. Yeah. Yeah, but do you fire someone for that? Or... No, I don't think so. Well, I don't think she deserves to be fired. I in fact, no, was... you can't fire somebody yeah. without warning anyway. Exactly, yeah. Actually, yeah, if you're the Prime Minister, you can get away with anything. This, I think that is essentially the, the message we're getting here. Yeah. You know, um, being Prime Minister, I could just have him murdered. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'll think about it. Do. The SAS are absolutely charming. Ruthless, trained killers are just a phone call away. So Laura Linney. Laura Linney's plotline. Another horribly depressing, bleak, festive plotline. I I didn't like this one. I didn't really like what was going on here because I didn't believe her relationship with Carl at all. I mean, I could see that it was just like a one-night stand sort of thing, Mm -hmm. maybe. She'd fancied him for ages, everybody knew. But, I mean, he was very nondescript. Yeah, well, that's the thing. There was there was nothing to him at all, mm-hmm. and we were supposed to sort of feel sorry for her that she couldn't have sex with him because she was thinking about her brother. Her brother was interrupting too much, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, it's sad for her. Her brother's got special needs. Mm-hmm. Where did I go with that? <laughs> it's interesting to me that you... <laughs> that's, that's the story. That's that's okay. the end. Yeah, but you just you just described. You said so. He doesn't have a personality, and we're supposed to feel sorry for her that she can't have sex with this person who has no personality. Uh, yeah. 
But that's the case with every male character in this film. Literally everyone is lusting after a female who has no personality. This is the only time it's reversed. What personality? They can't even speak the same language. She literally has no personality because they can't communicate. Oh, that's sweet. How is that? (laughs) We'll get to that. Oh my God. So this one begins with Alan Rickman calling Paul Laura Linney, who's just trying to do her job, into his office and saying, how long have you fancied Carl? Mm -hmm. She's like, two years. He's like, Right, I, I command you to have sex with him, or to ask him out. Where is the HR department in this office? That could just be friends. Again, but it's employer-employee. It's so no, that's inherently sort of unbalanced. I've had that with previous employers. I mean, not sort of like, have sex with your co-worker, mm-hmm. but talking about things that's not really the sort of thing you'd talk about with an employer-employee stuff. Okay, they didn't seem like super pally there. It really felt like he was putting a lot of pressure on her. Harry. Sarah, switch off your phone and uh, tell me exactly how long it is that you've been working here. Two years, seven months, three days, and I suppose, what, two hours? And how long have you been in love with Carl, our enigmatic chief designer? Um... Two years, seven months, three days, and I suppose an hour and 30 minutes. Thought as much. Well, I just thought that maybe the time had come to do something about it. Like what? Invite him out for a drink, and then after about 20 minutes, casually drop into the conversation the fact that you'd like to marry him and have lots of sex and babies. You know that? Yes. And so does Carl. Think about it. For all our sakes, it's Christmas. I have to say, this this is one of the ones I liked better than a lot of the other ones, actually. Just because it felt like it wasn't about the same thing as all the other ones. I agree. I don't think... I didn't feel like Carl was in love with her, too. Mm. I don't know if that's supposed to matter or not. Like, because they didn't really do much with Carl. No. It seemed like he gave up on her very quickly. Like, she has to take a couple of phone calls. He's like, oh, well, peace out. But I think I like this because I like Laura Linney. Yeah, but it was the bit when she was like, oh, no, I'm not busy. Mm-hmm. That was the bit that I could sort of see why nothing then happened. Yeah, but her brother's, like, profoundly... No, 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 I unwell. get that. Like, I, I understand her priorities, but yeah. to just say, oh, no, I'm not busy, and then not give any explanation to Carl at all. Yeah, again, this is another example so I, of... I, I can see why, that for him, that would just be like, nothing's going to happen here, this mm. is... Yeah. Again, why does nobody in this film have a conversation? <laughs> You're right. Just, like, be frank and upfront and be like, you know what, this is my situation, it's shit, but, you know, just have a little bit of patience with me and we'll work around it. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. We've got three left, I think. But I, I'm not finished with this one yet. Yeah, well, I'm finished with it. Colin Firth, go. No, but she just dies alone. Is that what we're supposed to take from this? That she just dies alone? Well, we'll see when we do sequels. Oh, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Colin Firth, yeah. So, did you like this one? Seems like you did. Yeah, of course. Okay, fine. Great. Yeah, a woman who can't speak. What, what could be more attractive? And a man who really should have a laptop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I lost all patience. I lost any, any residual sympathy I may have had with this character. Mm. I lost when he was typing up his novel, Loose Leaf, outdoors on a windy day next mm. to a pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, this one was just like the story of a classic midlife crisis masquerading as a love story. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, 100%. 110%. So he gets cheated on by his girlfriend? Wife? His wife, I think. Okay. By his brother. By his brother, which is shit. Yeah. Which is shit. Then, so he goes up to France to pout for a while, so, you know, stewing it. Mm-hmm. And he gets a lady delivered to his door. Uh, Portugal, isn't a it? Portuguese. No, oh, no it's France. He's in yeah. France, yeah. Because yeah. she only speaks Portuguese. So mm-hmm. how she got this job with this French cleaning company, God only knows. Yeah, and then basically their entire plotline is them not 
communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it, parts of it were quite cute. Like, I enjoyed the kind of mistranslation thing where he was saying one thing and she was saying another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, when he says, oh, I... I am still okay. I never put on weight. And then she says, don't eat that. You're getting chubby every day. But, you know, there was lots of like funny little moments. Yeah. And the bits that when they're in the lake and it's like, oh, I hope there's not eels in here. Yeah. Careful. Don't wake the eels. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. That's good. It was cute. See, I could get on board with that. Why? It just felt like, why do they need to get married? Why do they need to conclude with him proposing to a woman he's never had a conversation with who doesn't speak a word of English? Because they fall in love and it's sweet. But marriage, why can't they just, why not just ask her on a date? Because... In this weird backwards country that is Portugal, that's how things seem to work. And racism. Women, and Racism. And women get sold into slavery, and that's just quite standard in Portugal. In Portugal. In Portugal, yeah. <laughs> See, this film has warped your mind. Oh, no, no, I'm very sure that is the case. I'm oh. very sure that, yeah, uh, I, I've, I've got some sources. Okay. It's, uh, definitely the case. All right. If I want to look forward to hearing what our Portuguese listeners think about that little... Um... <laughs> <laughs> that little if listeners haven't realised I'm being ridiculous. No. Oh, and the family... That poor woman, once oh, again. God. I feel like I'm saying that a lot. Well, his poor sister. Her poor sister, for a start. Once yeah. again. Yeah. The amount of fat shaming in this film. Like, you want to marry her? I'll pay you to marry her. <laughs> Look at her. She's so fat and disgusting. And she has my favourite line in the movie. When she when they're walking down the street and um, she says, father's about to sell Maria into slavery to this British person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, close enough. Like, it's actually, it seems like she's, she's the only person who seems to question it. Yeah, I just don't understand why they're in such a rush. And why it's supposed to be... Why it's supposed to be romantic towards that he abandons his entire family to go shag his cleaner, which is classic midlife crisis behavior. He abandons behavior. his family to go and get married. To a woman he's never had a conversation with. He's had some conversation with. In different language. Oh, I, <laughs> I just don't understand just, this. Like, just, just on to the next thing. He's just in a, like you say, midlife crisis. He's on the rebound. Yeah, it's a rebound. It's never going to last. It's going to end horribly. Well. He falls in love with her because she looks good when she takes her clothes off and dives into a pool. True, true. Then... That is true. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, everyone, it's Uncle Jamie. Christmas! Yeah, Uncle Jamie! Oh, yes, well, oh, splendid. It's lovely, it's lovely to see you all. And, uh. I'm off, actually. But, Jamie, darling! Sorry. Man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. Listen. This brings us to Andrew Lincoln and Keira Knightley. Oh god, I forgot about them. We, oh. This was the low point of the film we for me. Two left. That one. Well, yeah, they're both awful characters. Mostly him, but yeah, yeah, mostly him. Her for accepting him. Nothing about this was romantic. Mm-hmm. It was awful. So he is in love with her secretly, but she's marrying his best friend. Mm-hmm. So he goes to this wedding and it, he films Keira Knightley exclusively in creepy, creepy for close up. Mm-hmm. And then as it's established once again, this running theme in this film, they've never had a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like she, he actively avoids talking to her. So she thinks he hates him. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they've got this long, you know, their own relationship going on. He's just decided he loves her, mm-hmm. films like a creepy stalker. Then she turns up in his house wearing the most disgusting hat I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, I love that hat. That's made a big impact on my life. She looked like she should be like giving out newspapers crying, extra, extra, read all about it. It was fashion of the time of 2003. It was... I, I don't think it was. I think it was. Okay. Then she comes around and finds the video, like zeroes in on it really quickly, mm-hmm. watches it. And again, was that supposed to be romantic? When that, that really gave me anxiety when she's watching the video of herself. And it's like, oh God, it's all of me. Mm-hmm. I'm like... Get out of the house, Kira. Run, run like the wind. He's going to kill you. Like, <laughs> he's going to wear your skin as a sarong or something. Like. Mm-hmm. And then he does the awful thing at the end, the utterly unforgivable thing, which is supposed to be romantic, apparently, where he turns up at her door, mm-hmm. 
And then luckily she turns Luckily up. she opens the door. Yeah. yeah. What the hell was he going to do if he opened the door? <laughs> Maybe turn the cards around, had ultimate messages. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I want fancy a pint. Great. Yeah. Nothing else. Let's go. <laughs> Don't look at that. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, then it's like, I have no ulterior motive, but I just want to tell you I'm in love with you and I always will be. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, how sweet. And she kisses him. And it's like, what do you mean you've got no ulterior motive? Why even fucking say it then? She's just got married to your best mate. Mm-hmm. That is such an epic dick move. Yeah, it is. Awful. So do you agree with me that this is a terrible, terrible line? Mm. Was there any redeeming feature in this one for you? I liked his British accent. You know, that's just his accent. I know, that is I know, Andrew but Lincoln's obviously I know him from Walking Dead now. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, cool. The frustrating thing about this one is that there was an easy, easy solution that would have made this one a million times better. Mm-hmm. And they suggest it in the first five minutes and then drop it, which is what happens a lot in this film. Mm. Which is, when they're at the wedding, or the wedding reception, Lauren Linney sits down and she sees Andrew Lincoln is staring at the wedding couple. Mm-hmm. And she says... Are you in love with him? And that is a much better plot. <laughs> Imagine that was the plot. He's in love with his best mate. Mm-hmm. Now he's getting married to a woman. So obviously, you know, he doesn't feel the same way. And this poor guy's just dealing with this sadness. Mm-hmm. So then the, the Kira Knightley comes around and says, can I have the wedding video? And he's, he's like, no, don't look at it. Don't look, don't look. She puts the video in and, oh, he's just filmed his best mate the whole time. It's like, oh my God, you're in love with him. And then it's like, you know, it's awkward, but it's sad. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they bond a little bit over that. It's like, you know, maybe maybe then they have some sympathy for each other. And it's like, maybe we can be friends after all. Mm-hmm. And then he turns up the door with his placards and he opens the door. And it's like, look, mate, all this is written on cars, obviously. Mm-hmm. Look, mate, I've got no, I know, you, I know you're just married and there's no agenda here. But I just, want, I just need to tell you before we draw a line under it that I will love you forever. Even if it's a waste of my life, I will love you forever. That's, that's heartbreaking and beautiful and sad. Yeah. That would be great. Why couldn't it be that? Instead of this creepy, manipulative bullshit that they do instead. Well, that's probably because the film didn't know how to write gay people. True. Well, that's it. There were no gay characters in this film. They're just, like, suggestions of gayness that are then, like, pulled away. Mm-hmm. Do you love him? <laughs> what? No, I, I just thought I'd ask the blunt question in case it was the right one and you needed someone to talk to about it and no one had ever asked you, so you'd never been able to talk about it even though you might have wanted to. No, 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 is, is the answer. No, absolutely not. Any more thoughts on Andrew Lincoln and Keira Knightley? No, I don't think so. We've got two left. We cool. do, okay. We can do this, we can do this. Martin Freeman and Joanna Page. <sighs> All right, so, yeah, like I said before, what were they? So they weren't porn actors. There no. were body doubles doing the nude scenes for a mainstream film, presumably. Yes, I think. How much sex is in this film? A lot. There were a lot of positions. Maybe it's just one scene, actually. One scene where there's a lot of positions. No, because it was through the, this film took place over a month. They were on set for a month doing that, presumably. A month for one scene. Sure. Well, even The Shining didn't take that long to film. It was just bits and pieces, reshoots, who knows? Maybe, maybe. Okay. This entire plotline felt like it was purely existed to make Joanna Page get her tits out. Uh-huh. That felt was like all it was for. Yeah. I could feel like maybe Richard Curtis was just behind the camera just masturbating. It was gross. That being said, controversially, this was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I found it sweet. Because it felt most genuine? It did a little bit. It set up like an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Even though there was no need for them to be that naked. But like, that's what I mean. Like, oh, it's I mean, for the lighting. Was. We need to see your nipples for the lighting. Yeah. That was the, the excuse. Well, we guessed that it was they were doing... But you were saying it was the body doubles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whoever they're pretending to be, Meryl Streep, for example, yeah. like <laughs> that's apparently what, what Meryl's body looks like in, in sure. that film. Sure, yeah. Or well, that's what Meryl wants her body to look like. Right, okay. So, 
So they're going to CGI Meryl's head onto Joanna Page's body? No, they just do that with clever shots where they just zoom in on Meryl's face pretending to have sex and then they just show the rest of her body as other shots. I don't know. I've never filmed a sex scene <laughs> yet. Clearly. Um, <laughs> I'm interested you went straight to Meryl Streep. <laughs> all people. <laughs> Anyway, okay, no, I did. I found this one ridiculous, but there was something a bit sweet about it. It set up this whole thing of like having a an awkward situation, but it felt like their bond was genuine. Like they were just having a nice conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. He was talking to her. You know, you know why I like this one? They were two people who liked each other, who bonded over conversation, which is how <laughs> people fall in love. That's why this one worked because it was actually yeah. two people who had basic respect for each other. That said, they still got married too quick. They still get engaged at the end of the picture after like four weeks. Well, yeah, that's because every story arc needs to have some conclusion. It's not just they got together. That's, that's a, Why that's, not? Why do we live in this conservative world where everyone has to get married? It's like it's a Jane Austen novel all of a sudden. Have like. watched a sitcom? Yeah, but people, what sitcoms do we get married after a week? Like, no, but... Apart from like, Ross and Emily, and that didn't work out. But, but just like at the, at the conclusion of a season, there's always something of just like, after six years, they finally... Admit their love for each other and they hook up. Oh, yeah, after six wrong. years. Let's prove my point, Ryan. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> no, what I mean is at, at the conclusion of something. Yeah. That's when something happens. So okay. they can't really show that in this one film unless they did six years later and then yeah. do the conclusion to all these stories at the same time, yeah. which I think it, it wouldn't really fit as, uh, as as a film narrative. I disagree. I think they should have done like a, a post-credit sequence of like snapshots of like just married like eight years later or something. And mm-hmm. all of the characters like rather than make them all resolve their problems in the space of four weeks. Well, as the credits roll. Yeah. That'd be good. You know what would have been, would have been great to go back a bit? Let's have a picture of Liam Neeson marrying Claudia Schiffer but it's like five years later. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, fine. He eventually met a Claudia Schiffer lookalike. Not mm-hmm. three weeks after his wife went into the ground he met a Claudia Schiffer lookalike. But actually after a respectable period of mourning has taken place. Mm-hmm. You could have like a funny shot of Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson in couples therapy. Mm-hmm. That'd be funny. Just, you know, ish. Yeah. <laughs> That's always funny. But, you know, they could play it for laughs. You know. I think that would have been good. A monta- This film needed a montage. Yeah, you're right. This whole film is a montage, but it needs to end with like a quick montage. More than just them all at the airport. Yeah, for, well, crowbar them all into an airport. Reasons. Which only mattered because it, it was the initial opening monologue with Hugh Grant where he says, yeah. the most romantic place in the world is the I, airport. I thought that bookmarked it really well. Yeah. Is, do you really think the, the airport is the most romantic place in the world? No, not really. But I could see what he was getting at. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, I, I would have like gone I with I really didn't disagree with that. That's not my biggest problem with this film. At what all. is your biggest problem with this film? I don't feel like you have any. There is none. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the biggest problem. I have no problem. <laughs> Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. Well, we've saved the best for last. Chris Marshall. Chris Marshall. What a creep. Fucking Colin. Okay, well, when this film was first described to me as not painting women in the best light, Mm -hmm. which, bear in mind, I was... Let's see, I would have been 12 when I first saw this. Okay, so I'm glad I'm not the first person to point this out to you then. Yeah, and uh, a while later it was described to me as not, not good towards women, and I suddenly noticed that scene... Not just that scene, but just that story arc at least. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> no. Something, something there just doesn't. That can't be how American women are. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe as Brits are quite popular over there, but that seems a little cartoonish. So, yeah, that was my first. Uh, Your first introduction to sexism. Sexism, yeah. <laughs> well, what an introduction. <laughs> <sighs> Oof. 
So this character, Chris Marshall, mm-hmm. Colin, apparently. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember anyone's names, but fine, Colin. Mm-hmm. He can't get a shag in, in Britain, basically. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, when he's walking through <laughs> an office going, hey, good looking, mm-hmm. hey, future wife. But like, oh, he's, he's so creepy and disgusting. Yeah. He's gross. So he decides that rather than like alter his behavior or, you know, have a conversation with a woman. He did not, have a conversation that's with not, that caterer. Oh, yeah, not well. Okay, <laughs> maybe talking's not his friend. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe Colin shouldn't be talking to yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, rather I think than that, like, I think that in this imaginary world that he lives in, he did, he made the right decision. Okay, fair. Yeah. Anyway, he mm-hmm. decides that what he needs to do is just go to America, where he will, in fact, where everyone just was falling over to shag him, mm-hmm. and then he goes to America, and they do, mm-hmm. and that's his entire plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he comes home, and some of the he's won a woman, and he's brought one home for his friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, that's it. This plot line. It would never have been acceptable, but it would have been slightly more plausible if Chris Marshall's character was, like, 19. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, like, this horny, stupid teenager. Like, oh, ho, oh, oh, what a stupid teenager. He was 30 when he made this movie. Yes. So he's a 30-year-old man. Yes. Who goes to America. He goes to this bar and is immediately surrounded by what I can only describe as Barbie dolls. Well, that's how women are in America. Clearly, yeah, clearly. They're just prizes to be won, yeah. I mean, well, they're all incredibly hot. Mm-hmm. All hanging out in bars, and they all live together. Yes, in, a, in one bedroom. Yeah. In one bedroom, and they do absolutely love us Brits. I was waiting for those women to like rob and murder him. <laughs> I was waiting for one of two things to happen: either for them to turn out to be prostitutes and to steal all his money, mm-hmm. or for him to wake up the next day with all his clothes gone and his wallet stolen, and he learns a valuable lesson about not trusting random women in bars. Mm-hmm. But no, no, it's just literally exactly what it says it is. It's like. I'm going to go to America and shag some hot women. And that's exactly what he does. Mm-hmm. Then he brings one home, two home, one for his mate, who is clearly in love with him. Mm-hmm. End of plot. Yeah. And this is the character you relate to the most. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that is not the case. <laughs> Good. Good. No, I'm Alan Rickman all the way. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> such positive role models. This is, you, watch, you watch this film at the age of nine. It's, I can see the effect it's had on you now. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Where are you staying? I don't actually know. I guess I'll just check into a motel like they do in the movies. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, that is so cute. <laughs> no, 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 listen. This may be a bit pushy because we just met you, but why don't you come back and sleep at our place? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's not too much of an inconvenience. Hell no. <sighs> but there's one problem. What? Well, we're not the richest of girls. You know, so we just have a little bed and no couch. So you'd have to share with all three of us. And on this cold, cold night, it's gonna be crowded and sweaty and stuff. Yeah. And we can't even afford pajamas. No. Which means we would be naked. Okay, so on the whole, Best film ever? It's a miss from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does my have my opinions changed yours at all? Or? Not really. No, you still love it. No, just... yeah. Still love it despite. Despite, okay. Yeah, maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe. I don't know. Have you enjoyed any of our Christmas films so far? I enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life. Did you? I had some questions, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed parts of Krampus. I just wanted it to be, un- I wanted it to be more of what it was, but it just mm. didn't quite go there for me. Yeah. But no, yeah, I just, I just, as I said, I just found this one like emotionally phony and poorly written mm-hmm. and manipulative and 
really shit towards women and gay people just don't exist. All right, well, have we got time for drinking games? Of course, there's always time for drinking games. <laughs> Let's keep it quick. So I only did two of the three that I've brought, the first two. Okay. So first one is drunk whenever someone says the word love, which okay. is actually a really good drinking game, apart from right at the start when the wedding happens and then they sing... All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. Where the backing singers are just going, love, 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 <laughs> love. Oh, God. Oh, did you actually have to drink every time that happened? We just drank solidly through the through Okay. The just waterfall it. Good, yeah. That would get you pretty drunk. Uh, so, first of mine is drink for hideous clothes. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you've got Bill Nye's tie-dye thing, mm-hmm. Kieran Knightley's hat, lots and lots of high-neck chunky jumpers. I love that hat. I love those jumpers. <laughs> Andrew Lincoln wore the hell out of that jumper. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a sober round for you, but there's a lot. I had a lot of issues with. There's a lot of very yeah, class of two thousand three fashion in this film. From that, of the time. I guess. I guess. Fine. What was your fa- next? With fashion of the time is fine. Sexism, mm. not so much. Yeah. What's your next one? Drink whenever there is a crossover in stories. Oh, okay. Which was good. Which was good. Quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you also got to define well, what is a crossover. Like they're just mm. on the phone. Does that count? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. They just mentioned that character. Does that work? Yeah. At the wedding, Laura Linney, who we never understand why she knows the bride and groom. Yeah. And she's also sat next to Colin Firth. Mm-hmm. Again, we have no idea how, they, how she knows the bride. He knows the bride and groom. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they just get together? Let's say they're pals. Like that would be great. So he's his maybe, wife. Maybe is- they don't fancy each other. Everybody doesn't just fit together like a jigsaw, John. People need to actually like each other. I know, That's I know. the way the world works. Yeah, but the, this film posits the opposite. It's like, I'm in love with somebody, so I win them. Like, I'm in love with this Portuguese woman, so she's mine. I'm in love with this person, he must be mine, she must be mine. That happens a lot with this film. I thought it'd be a good plot, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be a good plot if, say, his wife cheats on him, mm-hmm. he's depressed for a bit, he has a disastrous fling with his Portuguese maid, mm-hmm. realises they've got nothing in common, comes back to England, she's just had a disastrous fling with her colleague, mm-hmm. Hot Carl, and then they're like, oh, I've had a shitty Christmas. So have I. And mm-hmm. then you look into each other's eyes. It's like, you know what? We're both smart, intelligent, self-sufficient people. The sparks, they fly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes friends do fall in love, you know? Sometimes that's healthier. Yeah, sure. That's all I'm saying. Sure. That's a good one, though. You get mm-hmm. very drunk with that. So drink for fat shaming. Mm-hmm. We've covered it. There's so much in that film. Solid. Solid. Like, I don't think any of the dialogue around poor Marty McCutcheon was necessary. It didn't add anything except for just being horrible and demonstrably inaccurate. Mm-hmm. But like, imagine if they'd actually just cast like a plus-size woman in that role. And it's just been like, yeah, the Prime Minister, he fancies a larger lady. Mm-hmm. Great. That's cute. Mm-hmm. And he, she likes him too. Beautiful. Lovely. Mm-hmm. But no, instead, it's got that toxic thing of having a really skinny woman and is constantly being called fat. And then it's even her dad. Her dad calls her plumpy. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh, dear. It's toxic. And then also the, um, the Portuguese girl's sister, obviously, gets called Miss Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, it's not just the women, because poor old um, Rapsi Nesbitt, um, D- Bill Nye's manager, mm-hmm. he constantly calls him as my fat manager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, even Colin Firth gets it a little bit. So again, not fat, yeah. but she calls him chubby. Lots of this, this film is terrible for women and terrible for gay people and terrible for people of, who aren't skinny. It's just, just a horrible, mean-spirited film. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, you drink for that. Next. Okay. <laughs> um... I feel like you're about to cry. <laughs> Favourite Christmas day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's all good. So my next one is drink whenever the interpretation of how women behave is dead on. Dead on, yeah. So drink once. Just drink the one maybe, time. Maybe twice. Maybe just whenever Thompson speaks yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you seem like you have some kind of inner life. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine. Uh, okay, drink for unnecessary breasts. Unnecessary breasts, yeah. 
Have you done it twice each time? One for each nipple. Mm. You could do, yeah. I mean, you'd one for each breast, I meant, but yeah, you'd be drunk either way. Because um, <laughs> there's so much. I can't believe Laura Linney, two-time Academy Award nominee Laura Linney, got her breasts out for this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, there were breasts there. There was uh, Joanna Page. Joanna Page. Uh, there was what's her name that Anna Rickman was nearly going to get with. Yeah. Oh, oh, just she didn't didn't take her bra off. Portuguese lady again. She doesn't get her nipples out to be fair, but she does like strip down and get completely objectified. And that's mm-hmm. when Colin first like she'll be mine. Mm-hmm. As I say, I really felt a lot of this film was just Richard Curtis directing his own masturbatory bank, mm-hmm. just his own wank material. Mm-hmm. For every scene, he was just behind the camera like, go on, Joanna Page. It's for the lighting. It's for the lighting. Guys, you may feel uncomfortable by hearing that, but having John look into your eyes when he's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how every woman in this film felt. Ugh. I'm just putting you in their position. I thought I was never going to make it here today. The traffic oh, was just... Unbelievable. Judy, um, could you take the top off this time? Lighting and camera need to know when we're actually going to see the, um, the, the nipples and, and when we're not. Yes, OK. Right. And, and Jerry says if you could just put your hands on her breasts. All right, OK, yeah. Is that all right? And, and massage them, please. So, yeah, I've gone for a direct sequel this week. Okay. And unsurprisingly, the title of my sequel is Sexual Harassment, Actually. <laughs> so I'm going to be repeating this. Here song. we go. Yes. So the framing device for this one is it's 2017 and Martine McCutcheon's character, who I did go back and look at, is she's called Natalie, apparently. Mm-hmm. So Natalie... I knew that. Well, clearly you did. You've watched this film constantly. It's your dating Bible, who knew? It's the best Christmas movie there's been. Although it being my dating Bible, that probably does explain a lot. Yeah. So the framing device for this one is that Martine McCutcheon's character, Natalie, has written a tell-all novel about the terrible sexual harassment that she received during her time working at 10 Downing Street. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so she, she's no longer with Hugh Grant, who's totally inept leadership, Mm-hmm. ultimately led to a Cold War with the USA and Britain's disastrous exit from the European Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was forced to resign from office in shame and he now ekes out a living giving paid dinner speeches for oil-rich Middle Eastern dictatorships. That's great. So he's kind of Tony Blair meets David Cameron kind of mm, thing. Yeah. It's just a big old disaster. Mm-hmm. The worst of British politics. The worst of British politicians. Is Hugh Grant. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I felt like he was a bad Prime Minister. Oh, yeah. He was never doing his job. Well, I mean, it's not part of this film to see the Prime Minister doing his job. True, 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 yeah. Um, it's not It's not called politics, actually. True. So as Natalie's promoting her book, mm-hmm. we're going to see how it overlaps with all the other characters from the mm-hmm. original film. So Laura Linney has left Alan Rickman's company, and she's now the head of a successful publishing company that releases Natalie's book. Okay. So that's her connection. Her first major publishing success when she went into this new business was a misery memoir written by a teenage emo Jojen Reed, mm-hmm. in which he wrote a book about how his sociopathic stepfather forced him to watch him having sex with his new model wife mm-hmm. on his bed just weeks after his mother had died mm-hmm. while also encouraging him to carry out a number of ridiculous stunts in the name of love which left him with gunshot wounds from airport security a criminal record and restraining orders from three separate women jesus yeah <laughs> so that's little jojen okay alan rickman so we're just going by actor names then are we yeah, I can't remember what that kid was called. Sam. Sam, fine. Oh my God, you're so defensive about this film. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan Rickman, we learn, divorced Emma Thompson and married the Jesse J. Fembot. Do you remember what her name was? Karen. Weird. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, he married the Jesse J. Fembot, Karen, mm-hmm. who completely took him to the cleaner. Oh, oh sorry. That's Emma Thompson's name. Oh, okay. So Alan Rickman divorces Karen and marries Jesse J. In a, in a wig. No, Jesse J. wig. Just call her Jesse. Alan Rickman divorces Emma Thompson, marries Jesse J. Who I mean Harry divorces Karen and marries Jesse. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> predictably takes him to... The, do you want me to finish this or not? Yeah, sorry. sorry predictably 
Jesse J takes him to the cleaners, mm-hmm. just like wipes him out, divorces him, leaves him penniless, alcoholic, and alone. Mm-hmm. And he eventually died of a heart attack while in bed with prostitutes. Okay, sure. Because Alan Rickman is sadly no longer with us, so his character has to be no longer with us. Mm-hmm. So I feel that's a fitting end for died a really shitty from a heart attack from having too much sex with prostitutes. Yes. I wouldn't really say that's within character so much. I mean, you saw him stray a little bit in the film, mm-hmm. but that's, that's quite extreme. I feel like he went on a downward spiral from there. Died from too much sex. Well, I feel like basically Emma Thompson left him, then the new wife left him, and then he became an alcoholic, and all the, the only sex he could get was with prostitutes. And he just he just died a sad, seedy, depressing death that warranted his horrible life. All right. So that's Alan Rickman. Uh, Emma, meanwhile, married a sexy young jazz musician and did very well for herself. <laughs> Used her divorce money to set up an independent film studio. She stayed friends with Laura Linney, mm-hmm. and she buys the rights to Natalie's book to turn it into a movie. Okay. Yeah, happy story for Emma Thompson because she deserved sure. it. Sure, for, for Karen. But yeah, for Karen, sure. yeah. Karen went through it. She deserved a happy ending. She got one. <laughs> so, Joanna Page. Her name is Just Judy. So, Just Judy, having progressed from nude body double to respected stage and screen actress, mm-hmm. wins the role of Natalie in the movie of the book. Okay. Sexual harassment, actually. Great. During a key sex scene in which uh, Natalie presumably has sex with whoever's playing the Hugh Grant character. Mm-hmm. She discovers that her ex-fiance, Martin Freeman, mm-hmm. is still working as a nude body double, which is very sad. Yes. Um, so that's all just very sad and awkward. Like, because mm-hmm. she's gone on to a better career, he's still just doing nude body double work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they didn't stay together because they got engaged after four weeks, which is a terrible idea. <laughs> and so that's their story. Uh, we also discover that uh, Just Judy uh, <laughs> was recently nominated for an Oscar for her performance in the movie Juliet, Peter and Mark. Okay, what's that about? It was a true crime horror thriller mm-hmm. about a young London woman who was brutally murdered by her husband's best friend who was discovered masturbating compulsively to her wedding video in his <laughs> London apartment while wearing her skin as a sarong. Oh, God, John, you're taking this somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Uh, then Colin Firth's Portuguese wife. Yep. Who has now become fluent in English. Yep. She starts reading Natalie's book once mm-hmm. it comes out and starts seeing many parallels with her own life in the way that she was essentially sexually harassed in the workplace by an older, more powerful man who she was in the employee of mm-hmm. when she couldn't even speak the same language. Mm-hmm. She's also now no longer a cleaner. She's mm-hmm. now working in a care home for people in an advanced stage of senile dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of her patients is a demented but still very randy former rock star played by Bob Nye. <laughs> so he's just like, you know, wheelchair bound and dribbling. and mm-hmm. you know. So over the course of the movie, she divorces Colin Firth mm-hmm. and she seduces Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. Then jets off back to Portugal with her millions when he inevitably croaks three months later. Right. So she marries Bill Nye for the money because he's a bit of a rock star. Yeah. Then when he dies, takes all the money. She yeah. and Nicole Smith's it and good for her. So she jets off back to Portugal with Colin Firth's divorce money and Bill Nye's money. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So the movie comes out and both the movie and the book are huge, huge hits. Mm-hmm. And it ends. the movie ends with Martine McCutcheon, Emma Thompson and Laura Linney all just drinking expensive champagne on a yacht and clinking glasses and like, aren't we fabulous? Women are great. Credits roll and there's a post-credits title card that just crops up and just says, Chris Marshall's character Colin died of VD in 2006. (laughs) That's all we get from him. (laughs) Okay, great. End of movie. Any questions? No, but just now I feel like I'm going to come across the sexist for not making all those points. (laughs) You already were. It's fine. Just tell your story. (laughs) Okay. Tell your sexist, sexist story. Okay, so mine's called Love Definitely. Love Definitely, okay. Mm -hmm. It is also a sequel. This sounds a lot more optimistic than mine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's largely going to be the same sort of film, but it's going to be 
sort of catching up on all these characters okay. where they've got in the last 14 years. Okay. So Hugh Grant's doing a commentary again, talking about arrivals at Heathrow Airport and same old stuff, concluding with, and it shows me one thing, that love definitely is all around. Ugh, okay. <laughs> Try saying that without it being cringy. Yeah. Is, is he still Prime Minister? Well, that's... What's, we'll what's, build into that, okay. Yeah. Continue, okay. So we then jump to Billy Mack, Bill Murray, okay. doing a Christmas cover of a... I don't know if you'd call it a Christmas song. But anyway, um, he's doing a cover of a love song, changing the word love for Christmas. And what's the song? And I, I will always love Christmas. Oh, wow, that, that's uh, vocally ambitious. But sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's what you get that was, that was for the be- year. That was beautiful. <laughs> this is shit, isn't it? Yep. Solid gold shit, maestro. Yeah, so he'll be doing that for uh, this little intro scene. Has he been releasing terrible Christmas covers every year since that? Every year. Oh, dear God, that poor man. Yeah. As you know, that's what he deserves it. Good day, yeah. <laughs> Purgatory. A hell of his own making. I like it. <clears throat> he finishes the song and just looks through the screen to his manager, Joe. He was in the studio looking back at him, mouth open, and Billy says, well, w- was it utter shit? <sighs> yep, but it'll sell. <laughs> Who's buying these records? I don't know, but, well, it worked that one time. Yeah, well, that's, that's, so, that's what the record industry's based on. It's worked that one time. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's worked for X Factor, hasn't it? True, yeah. Yeah, and so then music kicks in. Maybe it is the backing track to that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, I should have a really good idea. Sorry. Well, Can Bill Nighy be one of the judges on the X Factor now? Oh, good idea. Yeah, because he's all salty really and sad and good Cowley. idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why he's still famous. Of course. Yeah. And every year... Can you imagine Simon Cowell singing? Yeah. Every, that, that's, that's a, that, I like that. So every year, whoever wins the X-Fat has to go up against him. And that's the gimmick. Uh, so I to, like it. Yeah, so that's why he keeps releasing bad Christmas songs. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Could call it the Mac Factor. The Mac Factor. Well, no, it's still the yeah, X-Fat. He's just, the, he's just one of the judges. But fine, yeah. So... Yeah, then it happens and we go on a montage of... Well, as Love Actually started with a montage of all the characters introducing them, this film's mm-hmm. going to do the same. Okay. So, we start off with the Prime Minister and Natalie, who they're married now. So it is still Hugh Grant, he is still the Prime Minister. We see them driving up to 10 Downing Street and he's just got back into office. Oh, okay. So he was out and now he's back in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doesn't happen often, but sure. No, well, it doesn't, also doesn't happen often that somebody's Prime Minister for 15 years. True, true, true. I guess anything's getting back in. Well, yeah. Winston Churchill came back, so sure. sure. It can happen. Yeah. Maybe there's a war on. Mm. And he's the one they want to bring back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Go on. So the Prime Minister and Natalie, they're pulling into Downing Street and they've, they've just won the election. Oh, it's good to be back. I'll always make tea for you, dear. Ugh. Oh, oh God. what have you done? I'm hearing myself now after everything you've said to me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna go with it. I'll always make tea for you, dear. Well, we'll see about that shortly. Because I'm gonna go in and meet the staff. Okay. So they do that and most of the staff are the exact same staff from fifteen years ago. And then they get to the end and uh they know it's the person who's been making the tea, and obviously mm-hmm. this is how Hugh Grant and Natalie met the first time. And Hugh Grant's now made the jokes, sort of mirroring the first film, but rather than saying, oh, well, at least you don't have wife and kids to look after this time. That's what he said in the first film. Mm-hmm. Now he's saying, well, I'm back, and I've got a wife, and the kids are on the way after school. How many so, kids have they got? About two. Okay. The British average of 2.2 children. Sure. <laughs> just two point, Literally 2.2. Two and <laughs> a horribly deformed half-baby just crawling <laughs> around like, kill me, kill me. <laughs> so to get to the end of the line, they meet the new drinks lady. Barbara Windsor. Like it. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Can you think of a line that she would say at that point? Well, I hope she sw- she's very far-mouthed. She would have to be. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. 
Oh, was that a good Cockney accent? Oh, well, fucking hell, it's the Prime Minister. The fucking Prime Minister. Get the fuck out of 10 Downing Street. I was a Conservative. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wait, sorry, you think Hugh Grant's Labour? No, that's true. He was so Conservative. <laughs> even at the blue tie. So, yeah. Okay, so now on to the next one, where we see Peter and Mark, Chantal Four and Andrew Lincoln. Okay, cool. They're standing at the end of the aisle, again, waiting for the bride to come out, and Mark says to Peter, so Andrew Lincoln says to Chantal Four, no surprises? Nope, none. Not like the stag do. I specifically said no strippers. And they both laugh. And then Short Elijah Four says, Oh, good luck, Mark. Turn around and I see the doors open. Natalie Portman. Peter says to Mark, You always had a type. Oh, of course, because she played, um, Kieran Knightley played Natalie Portman's double in Star Wars. Yeah. That's a nice deep cut. Yeah. Well, it's not just that. I mean, they look identical. That's a good body double. Fair, fair, fair. Okay, I like it. Mm-hmm. It's good. Very nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so we then go to Karen. Mm-hmm. Who was Karen? Oh, Emma Thompson. There we Emma go. Thompson. <laughs> she's kind of taken over the Liam Neeson role of this film, where she's actually starting off the film at her husband's funeral. Is she dancing on his grave? No. Well, she should be. She's delivering a lovely eulogy, which I've also not written very well, so it's something like, Harry was a misguided man. There were, there were times he strayed, but he always came back home to his family. He was ugh! A, ugh! Ugh! He was a great man. He'll be sorely missed. Ugh! His bile is rising in my throat. His coffin gets carried out to... What kind of song do you think? Oh, actually, you know what would be good, just as a little uh, in-joke, would be uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams. Because it's from the Robin Hood movie, in which he played the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes, he did. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, good, good, good. Or something by Jesse J, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care about the money, money, money. I've <laughs> <laughs> played at a funeral. Well. Okay, so uh, now we go to Daniel's character. Daniel is... I have no idea who's Daniel. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Okay, great. Good. Liam um, Neeson. He was now living in America with his girlfriend, Carol. Okay. Is that Claudia Schiffer? Yes, it is. Well, they didn't get married then. They're just boyfriend and girlfriend. So they've just been not married for like 15 years. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Not everyone has to get married. Yeah. Great. Cool. So uh, they're now in America. Okay. Partly because Sam's there, which we'll get to. Okay. But also because he's searching for his son, his biological son. Okay. Colin. Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> oh, that explains everything. Colin has been missing for 14 years. Presumed dead? Well, he was last seen boarding a plane to America. Let's just ignore the fact that the, at the first film he came back and... Well, maybe he went back to America to... again to find new women. Well, I was going to say that uh, he was last seen boarding a plane to America, getting off, and was then assumed dead because he only packed condoms. <laughs> yeah. He didn't pack any kind of food or drink or anything. And he walked into a bar, ordered a drink, had no money to pay for said drink, mm-hmm. and nobody to back him up or pay for his drinks or be nice to him or anything. And so he got beat up by security, kicked out, became homeless very quickly, had no survival skills, and nobody's seen him since. Okay. Well, it's about what he deserves. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's just around somewhere. Yeah. So a bit of a callback to Taken. Yeah. Sure. In some way. Mm-hmm. His son has been taken by stupidity. Yeah, by his own stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd kind of like to sort of go back a little bit on the first film and say that he... Wreck on it. Yeah, that he didn't actually just have sex with the first three or four women that he met. Okay. Or maybe, like I say, they robbed him and left him penniless. Maybe. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of my ideas for a bit was that that was all in his imagination from uh, malnutrition. That would make sense. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Cool. Love it. Okay, let's get to Sam. Liam Neeson's son. Liam Neeson's son, Sam. Okay, sure. Jojen Reed. <laughs> Just say Jojen Reed. <laughs> I don't know his name. 
so he's having, having dinner in a restaurant with uh, Joanna. Okay. They're also in America. They're there. They stayed together from the age of 11. Well, deep in some kind of conversation. And yeah, that's all looking very nice. And they're clearly both very close. And then some guy comes and sits with them. And Joanna leans over and gives this guy a kiss. Ah, okay. So Sam, he's good friends with this guy now. And uh, they, they all go to college together or whatever. They're all permanently living in America. Mm-hmm. But Sam is deep in the friend zone. Right, okay. <laughs> Which is where I think that, that relationship would go. That's, that's, that's yeah. all it could go. Yeah. It did seem very, I mean, he's 11. It did seem very chaste. Yeah. He's like, he runs up to her, he gets a little kiss, and then he runs back. He's like, well, I guess it worked. Like, I won. Yeah. I won at love. <laughs> <laughs> so bad parenting. Bad parenting. <laughs> okay, now we go to Jamie. Okay. I know this. I can do this. Oh, Colin Firth. There we go. Oh. Okay, it's Colin Firth, who is now living in Portugal. Okay. His wife and two kids. Great. I feel like of all people that got together in this film, I thought that's the one that really would have worked. That's the keeper. Yeah. Despite the complete lack of language skills or anything in common. They clearly both loved each other. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll give you As that. As opposed to all the ones where I would moderately agree with you that it was a bit one-sided. Yeah, let's say that love transcends language barriers in that one. Fair enough. I'll, I'll let you have that. Fine. <laughs> yeah, and she's preparing to take the whole family home to England for Christmas. With his brother, mm-hmm. who he's made up with now. Okay. And the kids are crazy, all speaking Portuguese, way too fast for Jamie to understand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh yeah, that's all I've got on that. Any more ideas? Quick. I like that. I like that they only had like maybe seven or eight kids and they're all just like crazy Portuguese, like yeah. speaking, yeah. That's funny. I like it. Maybe that's all it is. That's all it needs to be. It's just them traveling back to England and yeah, sure. him like stressing out. But uh, yeah, I don't know where else you go with that. Maybe you can bring in the sister somehow. There was, yeah. Oh, her sister. Her sister. I liked that character. I wanted to see more of her. Maybe they've only oh, just... Oh, 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 Her sister has got with... Uh, what was his name? Carl. Oh, okay. Which one was Carl? Carl was the one that Laura Linney didn't get with. Oh, okay, cool. Was he Portuguese? Don't know. But okay. But maybe they met up in some way. I mean, the amount of crazy connections there are in this film series thing. Yeah, that'd be a really nice, like, restoration of the karmic balance. That actually, that poor sister, having been just, again, just insulted and treated like crap, she actually gets, ends she, up with she, a really hot guy. She, yeah. gets, she gets with the one who's just there to be the hot guy. Yeah, 100%. Love yeah. it. I'm on board. Yeah, it's a Portuguese Christmas, and it's just funny culture clash. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've only just moved to Portugal. Mm-hmm. And so he's having to deal with suddenly, like, all his kids speak, already speak Portuguese to their mm-hmm. mum, and now he's, he's having to, like, live his whole life in Portugal with all these crazy Portuguese villages, and his Portuguese is just okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's funny. It mm-hmm. works. I can see that. That'd be a good film. Good. I've not actually got anything for Laura Linney in this, by the way. Well, that's the story of her life, isn't it? <laughs> just left on the shelf. <laughs> Sorry, Laura. <laughs> Which concludes with John and Judy. Oh, I know Judy. Oh, was he called John? Yeah, apparently. Okay, sure. Are they still naked together? Uh, no, so they are now on a film set. Okay. And they're sitting in two chairs as though they are the directors. And they're just talking about normal things. Maybe it's left a little bit ambiguous as to whether they're... Wait, do they get married at the end? They get engaged. They get engaged. And then he says, maybe I'll finally get a shag now. <laughs> Which I know is a joke of like, because they've been faking shagging the whole time. But it's yeah. like, this is not a Jane Austen novel. You can just fuck her. <laughs> But, you know, you can maybe, both... it's, maybe it's also a joke between friends. Maybe, yeah, sure. I know. Okay. Um, I'm sensing I might have taken this film a little bit too seriously. Maybe. <laughs> Just a touch. Maybe. Just a touch, a touch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're talking about things. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I don't know. Um, a bell rings and Judy sat... And Ju- an angel gets his wings? No. <laughs> a, bell- <laughs> a bell rings and uh, Judy shouts, action! Right. Which shows us the viewer that they're both directors, they're co-directors or something on this film. Okay. And so we see this film play out well. They're just not engaged. They're still just carrying on talking about whatever and there's something happening. The camera pans round 
very slowly as this conversation is happening and we see out of focus that there's two people on the bed having sex. I don't know, maybe there's a window behind them so we can't really see like who it is or anything. And uh, having this conversation, John and Judy having this conversation and John goes, Could you just wait a sec? And Ursula turns over there and says, no, 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 this is all wrong. This is all wrong. Meryl, you're supposed to be on top. Leo, you're clearly the bottom in this relationship. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you have some interesting kinks. <laughs> Meryl Streep with a strap on, presumably buggering Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, well, I'd watch it. Yeah, no, yeah. Imagine what that film would be. Yeah. I was hoping you'd say it'd be like Fifty Shades of Grey or something, they'll produce, but that's even better. <laughs> Maybe it is Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. You know. Maybe Fifty Shades of Grey free, Meryl and Leo. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I've got. I've kind of, I guess, only got the opening montage to this film. Mm. Um, maybe the closing montage has to also be in the airport. So maybe they come back from Portugal or maybe... I don't know, maybe there's just a reason for them all to be crowbarred into an airport again. Maybe Laura Linney has become an air hostess. There we go. Yeah. Along with Rowan Atkinson, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> who I've left out of this completely. True, yeah. Because I've not actually put any... Well, he didn't really have a this. character as such. He was more no, like he didn't. a joke, but yeah. He didn't even have a name. No, exactly. Um, okay, so very good. I enjoyed that a lot. I think mean, that could work. So, listener submissions. Listener submissions. Oh my god. There's something called quality as well as quantity, you know. Right? Yeah, but we're, we're too much under quantity, so fine, come on. Fine, 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 fine. So, we had a lot this week. It's a popular film, obviously. Ah, I told you. <laughs> well, some of them are more on my side than yours, though. So, uh, False Starts podcast, at False Starts. This is called Love Actually LACU. I'm going to tally this, by the way. Okay, which I don't know what that stands for. I think maybe it's supposed to be like Law and Order kind of thing. But anyway, their idea is we get one new movie every three months. Each yeah. one centred on one character from this film. It'll be like the MCU is in the Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Oh, Love Actually Cinematic Universe. Oh, I did not get that. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Brilliant. That's what you're here for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, one movie every three months, each centred on one character from this movie. Mm-hmm. One for every holiday or emotions. Then there'll be like a Valentine's Day, there'll be a, like sure. a Christmas one, there'll be a New Year's one, etc. So everyone who was in the original film is now signed on for a 100 picture contract, which is unbreakable. <laughs> uh, if, any, if, we, if anyone dies, they get CG'd back in. There's no escape from this franchise. Uh, and the movies just keep going. And regardless of audience attendance or dwindling budget, so eventually they're going to be shot on an iPhone if they have to, in portraits, just anything to keep them going. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to keep making these films till the sun burns out and we all die. So, okay. So, yeah, that would seem like more of a comment on Marvel than a comment on Love Actually, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm kind of tally on my side because no, they weren't on your side. Because <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? They're on your side because they weren't because, explicitly on my side. Yeah, because they didn't mention sexism or anything like that. So, yeah. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Not that in any way I'm saying this film is not sexist. It's very sexist. <laughs> Claire McCallan at ManicPixie88. Liam Neeson's son goes to Paris for a festive holiday. Mm-hmm. You can guess where this is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gets kidnapped. There's no mention of his son being Chris Marshall, to be fair. Okay. Liam Neeson and Emma Thompson are now together. Alan Rickman's been dumped. So, yeah, he, Liam Neeson's better than Emma Thompson team up together and spend the sequel trying to get Liam Neeson's son back from the kidnappers. It ends up that he's too old to beat people up anymore and to find them and kill them and all that. So instead he has to rely on the Prime Minister, Hugh Grant, to sort it out. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Martine McCutcheon was the villainous sex trafficker about the whole time, so she's the one who's kidnapped him. Mm-hmm. And it's called Taken, actually. So. <laughs> cool. I would say that's ambiguous, so I'm counting that as mine. Oh, damn it. <laughs> two nil. Paper Chain Podcast, at Paper Chain Pod. Yeah. Hugh Grant's Prime Minister, now retired, is suddenly involved in a massive sex scandal. Oh, that's going straight to you. Bill Nye Singer is also involved in a sex scandal, as are all the terrible, terrible men from the first film. I mean, other than those two, how are they going to get involved in sex scandals when they're not famous? Well, I guess... I can can understand, like, having charges made against you, but a scandal... Well, maybe they've become 
celebrities. It's still basically making the point that men are awful. And, well, the men in this film are awful. It is true, all men are pretty bad. All men are terrible, yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's that's definitely a point for me. Great. Cool. Easy Rider Raging Podcast, at mm-hmm. ERR Podcast. It's Christmas 2018, and the UK is being ruled by the Wicked Witch of Westminster and about to crash out of the European Union. <laughs> Who can... <laughs> Sorry, the Wicked Witch of Westminster. I think he just means Theresa May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Mm-hmm. Fair, fair. Yeah. Who can save us? Ex-Prime Minister Hugh Grant and Tiffany from EastEnders, who, through many subplots and cameos, prevent the UK from leaving the European Union. How do they prevent Brexit from happening? With love, obviously. It's called love, obviously. <laughs> Great. Boom. Mine. Damn it, fine. Have a 3-1. Okay, and last, so you've already won. <laughs> yes. Blokebusters, at Blokebusters. Theirs is called Love Actually Never Lasts. <laughs> so I think I've got one here. So we follow each of the characters from before, but literally every one of them has been divorced or crushed by love. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason than because Dolores Umbridge is now Prime Minister and she declares World War Three in the last scene and ends up riding a missile. At like the end of Doctor Strange's love, she like straddles a missile that drops onto America or something. So Wow. Yeah. So wow, free two, okay. it was close. Pretty special. Okay, I did win that, but Blockbusters, I thought you were on my team. <laughs> You're dead to me now. <laughs> Thank you guys for those. They were all very, very good. If you have any sequel ideas you'd like to share with us for Love Actually or for any films we've done in the past or films we've done in the future, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us on beyondtheboxset.com. You can also find our podcast on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, Podbean, Player FM. All All good podcasting platforms, yes. So please find us. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe for a new episode every Friday morning. If you really like what we do, please leave us a review on iTunes. That'd be great. Just leave us some stars. Join us next week when we will be having a very special episode, actually. Not not only are we having a guest episode, we are having a podcast crossover. Okay. We will be joined by the great podcast, One Good Thing. And they will be talking to us about the film Jingle All The Way, starring Mm, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, I've yep. not seen that. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what do One Good Thing do? One Good Thing are a podcast that they watch notoriously bad movies and try and find one good thing to say about them. It's very entertaining. Okay. So they might watch, say, um, you know, The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And like, what is the one redeeming feature of The Phantom Menace? Go. Um, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Great, cool. Short podcast. Easy. Done. Yeah. Um, so they'll be joining us to try and find the one good thing and some sequel ideas for Jingle All The Way. Yeah. So join us next week for that. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Google+. We're on Tumblr now. We're on Tumblr. I post oh, GIFs every few God. days. Yeah. So Actually, I don't even know what Tumblr is. It's just a GIF machine. Uh, I don't know how many listens we get from it, but you know, I'm, I'm just putting us out there. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, so if you want to connect with us on any of those platforms, please do just search Beyond the Box Set. You will find us or go to our website, beyondtheboxset.com for all the links. And that's it. So bye. See you next week. Bye.